Good morning, good morning, good morning. How is everyone? So good to see you again. Um, of course, we're doing one service now through the summer. Everybody got it? What time every, every Sunday? 10 a.m. All right, through the summer. So one combined service. One of the, one of the things that we've heard people say um, as we've done this over the summer is it's, it's awesome for kind of people from both services to come together, right? And some of you that have come to one service for so long, you hit you, some, some people in the second service maybe you just haven't even seen for a while, right? So it's good to be together. It's, it's good to worship together through the summer like this. We love it. We love it. So um, thank you for those who were here last week. Perfect weather again for our outdoor service. We loved it. Um, so glad that we were able to do that. Thank you again to the sound of production team, worship team. It takes, takes a little bit of a setup, right, to get that all pushed out. So give them a hand. Yes, thank you. Thank you, thank you. Um, thank you to Guy Alvito for bringing by the trailer for the, for the stage every week um, for, for last Sunday. So that was awesome. We appreciate it. Um, so this morning we're wrapping up this series. This is the last message in this series. We've been um, focusing on subject, subjects that Jesus spoke directly on during his three years of ministry. I, I hope you've enjoyed this series as much as I have. I've really uh, loved this. If, if, you, if you ever personally needed to hear from the heart of God, um, this series has, has been for you. Uh, we, we hope you've been encouraged and challenged as we've discussed um, the words of Christ um, to the world. Um, last week, po- um, Pastor spoke on what Jesus had to say about um, judge, being judgmental, right? Um, and, and in that, he also briefly mentioned how hypocrisy comes into play when, when, when people are overly judgmental. And so for this morning, we want to wrap up the series um, with a message on uh, what Jesus had to say about hypocrisy. And let me tell you, there was quite a bit he had to say on the subject. Um, and, I, and I can everybody just prepare yourselves a little bit. There's going to be some painful stuff this morning. Are we all are we all ready for that? Are we let's brace ourselves a little bit. No, new, new people for the first time. Aren't you so glad you came this morning? <laughs> no. um, others have focused on this subject. This isn't just um, a, a biblical um, subject. Um, I heard this story about an atheist hiking. Are you ready? An atheist was walking in the forest, admiring all the beauty of creation. He heard a large bush rustling and decided to go investigate this noise. Always a good idea, right? He then stumbles on a large bear, which starts to chase him. He runs hard, looks back, and sees the bear is catching up. He runs harder, looks back, the bear is on his heels. He sprints, but the bear closes in on him. The atheist trips on an exposed tree root, and as the bear rears its huge claws to strike, in panic, the atheist yells, Oh God, please no. All of a sudden, the bear froze before striking. The wind stopped howling. The river stopped flowing. The clouds broke, and the brightest light shone down on the atheist. And the voice of God called to him and said, Ah, now that you face death, Are you prepared to accept my existence and worship me? The atheist replied, well, I don't want to be a hypocrite, so maybe you can make this bear one of your followers. Then the river began to flow again. The wind began to howl. The bear lowered its claws, knelt, and prayed, Lord, thank you for this meal I'm about to receive. (laughs) That's a true story. This is true. No. 
listen, the, the Bible, believe it or not, mentions hypocrisy about 60 times. As I, as I look through scripture for this word hypocrite or hypocrisy, it's mentioned about 60 times. While we're looking specifically at the words of Jesus in the new, uh, in this series, some of this, some of these instances, many of them also from the Old Testament. So this wasn't just, this, it wasn't just something that Jesus, um, mentioned. It's throughout scripture. I think, I think this subject matters, as Pastor mentioned last week also, um, because if you were to ask critics of faith, if you were to ask critics of, of Christianity, why maybe they've never, um, 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 seriously considered faith or, or been to church, one of the more common reasons that they would give, along with judge, uh, feeling judged, is also then what? Is also hypocrisy. That is one of the top reasons people will give. They see, the world sees a double standard sometimes in the life of Christians, and that's enough to turn them away, or at least to not give faith a serious look. That's a difficult thing to wrestle with. But if we're honest this morning, with, with, with the state of some high-profile pastors and other Christian leaders caught in scandals of adultery or abuse and others, we have to admit we understand why people would feel this way, Right? why they would feel this way about the church. There seems to be never-ending examples right now that people have to point to. I could go down a list, but I don't want to do that this morning. But, to be fair, is all of that criticism fair? Are all Christians hypocrites? To say that, that all Christians are this way seems to be an extreme overgeneralization. It's easy to completely dismiss something I don't agree with or don't want to wrestle with, uh, when it's an, an uncomfortable truth, if I can paint the entire group in a negative light, right? And so that's often what's done. Oh, everyone's a hypocrite, this broad stroke of, of, of criticism. But even still, church, maybe we can learn something from this criticism. First off, let's define um, some terms as we get into the subject this morning. What is a hypocrite? What's that word mean? The origin of the word, um, pastor, I know, I remember pastor actually uh, within the past couple of years so mentioning this, um, the origin of the word is pretty fascinating. It comes from the Greek word hypokrites. Um, I'm no Greek scholar, so if I pronounce that wrong, please forgive me, which meant, are you ready for this? It meant actor. It meant actor. The word was used um, originally to describe actors. I've got a picture there of a, of a mask or something that they would use. The word was used originally to describe actors in ancient Greece that wore these large masks to show the characters they were portraying. As the word then evolved over time, it's come to be known in its current usage as, quote, a person who acts in contradiction to his or her stated um, beliefs or feelings. Right? They are acting. In plain English, a hypocrite is someone who says one thing but does another. They, and we have, we have lots of kind of cultural um, idioms or sayings for this concept. They don't practice what they preach. They have a higher standard for everyone else than they do for themselves. They talk the talk, but they don't walk the walk. Their life doesn't match their words. They are acting. Let's be honest. Let's be honest this morning with ourselves. We've been there probably ourselves at some point. A time when we said something to someone else but, but did not follow our own advice. Um, let's, let's be real. It's, this morning, this isn't a problem unique to Christians, though, is it? It's a human problem, right? Because sin is a human problem. My first point this morning, 
all of us are prone, and if you're taking notes, this is on your notes there. There should be pens in the seats if you want to follow along. All of us are prone to act against our beliefs. As we look into the New Testament, Paul makes um, almost a personal admission for us in the book of Romans on, on some of this personal struggle he seems to have with this dual living now, now, Paul is, through Romans, um, leading us in sort of a progression of reality for the life of the sinner. He's explained through the first part of the book um, how each of us are slaves to sin and how each of us will be judged by God's righteous judgment and why, because of that, we are all in need of Christ's forgiveness and grace. If you've got your Bibles, um, we're, we're going to be looking into... Um, um, chapter 7. Uh, it'll be on the screens for you this morning, though, as well. If, if we skip ahead to chapter 6 and 7, Paul is showing that, that even those of us who are dead to sin and alive in Christ struggle with this obvious contradiction of living for Christ while still wrestling with an inherent sin nature. Listen to the tension here as Paul writes. This is chapter 7 of Romans, verses 14 through 20. We know that the law is spiritual, but I am unspiritual, sold as a slave to sin. I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do, but what I hate, I do. And if I do not, if, I'm sorry, and if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. As it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but it is sin living in me. For I know that good itself does not dwell in me, that is, in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. You can hear this constant back and forth almost from Paul, right? But this is totally relatable to the human condition, isn't it? How many of us have felt the desire to do the right and good thing, and yet we just cannot bring ourselves to actually do it, right? We've all been there at some point. Church, the sinful nature that you and I are born into creates this undeniable tension that exists in all of us, not just followers of Christ which causes us um, to not do things we know we should do. Now, here's the hope for all of us here this morning, and you already know it. Uh, the victory and hope that believers in Jesus now have is this gift of the Holy Spirit, which Paul goes on to explain later in Romans um, chapter 8, verses 1 and 2. This is what he says after going through chapter 7. Therefore, there is now no what? No condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. Amen? Skipping down to verse 5. Those who live according to the flesh have their mind set on what the flesh desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their mind set on what the Spirit desires. So while the sinful nature will always be a reality in the life even of the believer, we are no longer ruled by that sinful nature. We are now led and guided by the Spirit of God. I'm so thankful for that this morning. Aaron Bellinger, who um, you know, is, um, we, we shared his interning with us this summer, shared a great message with our youth this past Wednesday on how as followers of Christ we're no longer slaves to sin. 
Aren't you thankful for that every day? We are no longer slaves there. We are not stuck there. Christians are not perfect people. We still mess up. We get things wrong. And that's why we need to be led by the Spirit and have our minds set on what the Spirit desires. Because of our sinful nature, all of us are prone to act against our beliefs. Thankfully, those who are in Christ have a guard against that behavior. So now that we've discussed why you and I sometimes feel that pull to act in a way that's against our beliefs, along with making sure our minds are set on the Spirit, as Paul says, what else can we do to avoid hypocrisy? I think Pastor also mentioned this a little bit last week. I think the Bible shows us clearly that, secondly, humility is the best guard against hypocrisy. Humility is the best guard against hypocrisy. Anyone who has ever looked at this subject um, of hypocrisy knows that the number one person Jesus called out on this subject was who? It was not the pagan, but actually the religious leaders, right? It was the Pharisees. It was the Sadducees. It was the scribes in in Jewish um, community. And in one of the more prominent examples, Jesus calls out these leaders in blunt fashion, In Matthew chapter 23, a chapter um, Bible editors later titled The Seven Woes, W-O-E-S, not like woe, Jesus begins begins each of these seven rebukes with the same sentence. He says, woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. But before, before all that, Before he calls these these men out like this, he gives a lesson. He starts with a lesson in humility. And I love this. So needed. This is uh, Matthew chapter 23 now, verses 1 um, through 12. We're going to go through this um, little by little. Um, Then Jesus said to the crowd and to his disciples, the teachers of the law and Pharisees um, sit in Moses' seat. So you must be careful to do everything they tell you. But do not do what they do, for they do not, what? They do not practice what they preach. That's where we get that from. Here we already start to see Jesus calling out this conflict between what they are telling people and what they themselves do. Continuing on with me, verse 4. They tie up heavy, cumbersome loads and put them on other people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to lift a finger to move them. Heavy loads here from this verse refers to the oral tradition of, of, the, of the Jews, a distinctive feature of the Pharisees' brand of Judaism. A commentary from uh, my study Bible points out that after the Babylonian exile, Jewish rabbis began to add meticulous rule after rule, regulation after regulation that governed the daily lives of the Jewish people. These rules were passed on orally, meant they were, uh, they were told over time. They weren't written down until around 200 A.D., this oral tradition. These were intended to make the Old Testament more relevant to the lives of the Hebrews. But isn't it interesting that these massive obligations were far more burdensome than Scripture itself? This is verse 5. Let's keep going here. Everything they do, Jesus continues, is done for people to what? To see. 
They make their phylacteries wide and the tassels on their garments long. They love the place of honor at banquets and the most important seats in the synagogues. They love to be greeted in the marketplaces and to be called rabbi by others. The religious leaders made sure they were the best, right? They were the best dressed. Their, their religious garments were the, were the cleanest, were the best available. And they loved the public attention that their titles gave them. But listen here to how Jesus responds to these realities. He's going to now swing here and say why what he's just explained is not what should be happening. Verse 8, but you are not to be called rabbi. For you have one teacher, and you are all brothers. Jesus immediately puts these religious leaders, right, on the same level as the rest of the Jewish um, believers, as the rest of the community. Verse 9, And do not call anyone on earth father, for you have one father, and he is in heaven. Nor are you to be called instructor, for you have one instructor, the Messiah. Jesus seems to be slowly just chipping away at everything that the Pharisees have, right? Kind of in their pocket. Um, he, he says, this shouldn't be happening. This shouldn't be happening. Um, but is Jesus telling us here um, that we shouldn't use titles of respect? Some might read that and think, man, maybe we shouldn't, you know, call anybody by a title. But um, again, commentary there kind of reminds us that that's not really the point, though, though It says the warning here is against seeking titles of honor to foster pride, right? That's what the Pharisees were doing. They were, they, they demanded those titles to help them feel better. Obviously we should avoid, um, unreasonable literalism here in applying such commands by saying, oh, we shouldn't ever call anybody, you know, with a title. Titles of honor aren't bad, but me demanding or seeking titles to prop up my ego is the issue Jesus calling out. Do you see the difference? As Jesus um, ends here, this section, he ends with a, a calling as followers of Christ in how we are instead supposed to serve and love. So he gave us the example of the Pharisees and Sadducees and scribes and, and showed how their hearts were wrong. And now he's going to tell us, in fact, how we should be serving and loving. And I love this. Verse 11, the greatest among you will be your what? Will be your servant. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. I'm so thankful for um, an incredible dad in my life, and he he was a great and is a great example to me of what this kind of looked like practically. Um, I'll never forget him telling me one time that good leaders were never afraid of cleaning the toilets. They were never afraid of taking out the trash. And there were no jobs too dirty or a job that was ever beneath a leader. And I love, I love that example. I love that lesson. I remember a friend one time who was working in ministry, and he, he commented one time that he really didn't feel like he should be taking, um, that he should be setting up or tearing down chairs. Um, their, their church was a smaller one without a building, and so they had to set up you know, every Sunday in a local elementary school. And um, he felt like they should just be paying someone to do that instead. Um, guess who was never around when it came time to set up chairs or take down chairs? <laughs> but that attitude for my friend was a good reminder for me of, of uh, the important lesson that my dad had taught me, that if, if I am ever... Um, too big for for anything that I'm then maybe maybe it's possible I'm not serving as Jesus commanded us there in Matthew. 
when I lead, when you and I lead, whether in our workplace or our school for our students or even in the community or my family, am I humble, humbling myself by serving? Because when we address, I'm sorry, when we serve from a place of humility, unlike the hypocrites Jesus addressed, we keep ourselves on level ground as we work together with others in community. Serving in humility keeps us from entitlement because of our position of leadership. It keeps us from entitlement. Um, and one of the things that we talk about in our membership class here at Living Word, we, we talk each class time about how as we become a regular part, as we become members of the church, larger church family, we kind of begin to lose some of our quote-unquote rights, right, as, as we become uh, members and regular attenders and begin serving the larger church family. It slowly becomes less and less about me, right, and more and more about what um, – how I can serve others through the church. Amen? How I can serve others. As we, as we celebrate our nation's founding this past week, um, I found this great article on um, popular American leaders who really exemplified well this subject of humility. They were well known for being humble um, leaders. George Washington, along with Benjamin Franklin, I think Frederick Douglass and Abraham Lincoln may be on that list as well, um, were some of the front-runner examples. Um, author and, and um, Ph.D. David Bob wrote this about our first president. president. In Washington's early haste to achieve greatness, he sometimes let his ambition outpace his virtue. He gradually realized this, and he calibrated his actions accordingly. Rather than just cloaking his ambition only to exert absolute rule when given the chance, Washington recognized that the more he served others and the cause of justice, the more his success would matter. I love that. The less his ambition was about his own fame, the more he would deserve the honors he received. Virtue, then, in this sense, he discovered, can be its own reward. Twice, Washington was given almost dictatorial rule by the Continental Congress during the Revolutionary War. And George Washington, though, did not abuse his power. In fact, he laid down his sword after achieving America's victory at precisely um, the peak of power when many other conquering generals throughout history would have anointed themselves indispensable to political rule. It's, it's seen then that greatness of soul spurs people to soar above the rest. Humility issues a warning against flying too high. I love that. Humility was the check in his soul that Washington needed, Right? It keeps us from pride, from elevating us above others, and demanding more from others than we expect of ourselves. This was the main issue Jesus seemed to take with the religious leaders. Because Jesus could see their hearts, he knew their actions did not match their words, right? He knew their hearts the overriding focus of Jesus' ministry as he dealt with the subject of hypocrisy was purity of heart. And so for my last point this morning, a pure heart helps keep my actions sincere. A pure heart helps keep my actions sincere. 
Continuing on in Matthew chapter 23, Jesus um, is pointing out how the wrong actions of the Pharisees actually pointed to the wrong motivations of their hearts. They were not instructing people uh, on how to live from a place of love and concern, but from a place of pride. Following along, this is we're getting into verse 13 here, Matthew chapter 23. Let's read through some of these warnings Jesus gives um, to these Pharisees. Uh, Verse 13 again. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You shut the door of the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. You yourselves do not enter, nor will you let those enter who are trying to. Verse 16. Woe to you, blind guides. You say if anyone swears by the temple, it means nothing. But anyone who swears by the gold of the temple is bound by that oath. Now, what what does this mean? If you look into this a little bit, it's interesting. Jesus is actually referencing what was this common practice of some of the religious leaders, again, uh, of being intentionally evasive when they took their public oaths of service. It'd be just like a government official taking an oath before they took office. They would take these oaths as scribes. Um, as scribes but they were, there were certain, um, if you look into this, there were certain oaths that were, um, that were binding to this, that they had to follow, right? They were bound by this oath. And there were other oaths that they took that they, that weren't binding. So guess which ones they broke? The ones they knew weren't binding, right? And Jesus is rejecting all of this play on words and instead demanding they just tell the truth. Novel idea, right? Verse 23 through 24 now. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin, but you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former, you blind guides. And one of my favorite lines from Jesus towards the Pharisees, you strain out a gnat but swallow a camel. <laughs> the most see this and, and Jesus is getting at something here, right? The most strict Pharisees, you know that they would do this. They would strain their drinking water with like a cheesecloth or something to avoid the smallest of animals they had said were ceremonially unclean, the gnat. So if they were if they were following their own rules and regulations to the T, they would have to strain their drinking water to avoid being ceremonially unclean. But Jesus, um, Jesus is, is telling them here that they were ignoring the more important things like justice, mercy, and faithfulness and focusing on less eternally important things like gnats. <laughs> as the worship team comes this morning, um, as we close, listen, if we spend much time um, on the news or looking around at our world, it, it's, it's glaringly obviously uh, obvious that our world is is lost and broken. The reality uh, seems every turn um, to be more and more obvious to us that that's what's going on. Unfortunately, as we as we started this morning, some prominent Christians and leaders have given the world plenty of reasons, right, to not trust or believe what we say because the actions of some don't match what they've preached. It's difficult to come to terms with this reality. Church, I think now more than ever, we have to be people of sincere, genuine hearts. Amen? 
We need to show real concern and compassion to people to be willing to talk with them and walk with them through the mess of life and show them the reality of the gospel through Christ's love in our lives. Church, our words alone, unaccompanied by sincere action, are just not enough. Have our hearts been transformed by the gospel to a degree that my actions now follow suit? And if not, where do I need to repent of the hypocrisy in my own life. As we close this morning, I want to pray for each of us that God would um, illuminate those areas in, in my life that might not match right um, with my words. I'll never forget a student one time coming and, and asking, it, it broke my heart, asking if I was the same um, person at home that I was here. And man, it killed me. I, um, I won't go into to, to further, but it was such a good reminder to me that I, I need to check and make sure, right, that those two people are the same. And if not, I've got, I've got work to do. And so maybe we can allow people around us who we know love and care, us, care about us to speak to those things. Let's say, hey, I see some inconsistency here. That's where accountability comes in. That's where in humility we walk, right, and allow the Lord to change us. Let's pray together as we, as we close in worship. Lord, I thank you um, for just your check in my spirit this morning. I pray um, all of us here always have things, God, that we can be growing in as you continue to, to sanctify us as believers. God, I pray, um, I, I thank you for the gentleness of spirit, God, that's here. I pray that as each of us examine our hearts this morning as we leave, Lord, that we would be open to areas where, where things may not match God, that we, that we might live, live almost a sort of double life um, at church and a different life at home, a different life at work, wherever it may be, a different line on social media. God, I pray for um, just cohesiveness, God, that you would um, give us, as, as Paul said in Romans, the desires of the Spirit, that we would be led by the Spirit and not the desires of our flesh. God, I pray for each of us. God, as we worship, um, um, as we close here this morning, just be with us. Lord, we thank you. In your name we pray. Amen, amen. Let's stand as we close in worship.